you're going to set this up in the back. Um, just wanted to, uh, first of all, let you know my name is Dwayne Averill, and my wife Christine and my son Brad and I have been attending BCC for the past eight months, and we just wanted to share with you how, um, how happy we are that we've been welcomed into this family, and uh, we're, we really uh, are encouraged by the folks that are here. And um, secondly, I'd like to share that I, I want to thank you for the prayers that have been said on my behalf this past week. Um, this is a body that's been lifting me up in prayer, and um, I, I cherish and covet your prayer, so thank you very much. Can I just start out with a word of prayer right now? Amen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day. This is your day, as every day is, Lord, and we praise you for who you are. We praise you, Father, that we can gather in your name and we can worship you and we can call out to you, Father, and we can be assured that you are there with us. Your word says, when two or more are gathered in, in my name, I am there with them. And Father, I just ask that you just open our eyes, help us see the wonderful things in your law, and help us, Father, to, um, to just learn from you. And Lord, to just completely surrender to you. I ask, Lord, as I share my story, that I would speak truth truth of the story, and truth of your word, Lord. And I just ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So to begin, um, I'm sure most of you don't know who I am. So I want to share a little bit about what Christ was like uh, in, in the beginning when I, when I first, uh, you know, prior to coming to meeting Christ. Um, I, was, I was born into a uh, Christian home, and it was a home in which we went to church every single week. My, my parents were actively involved in Sunday school. My father was a superintendent of Sunday school. By the time I got to be 18 years of age, I had 16 years of perfect attendance pins going to Sunday school. I was the, the church boy that everybody saw, and they said, oh, this kid is such a nice kid. I did well in school. I was active in sports. I attended um, Shenandoah High School. I was captain on, on the team and, and um, very successful. And that was... Uh, that was the outward me. And when you come and you start and you look at the inward me, who I am from the inside, um, inside I was ultra competitive. And because of competitiveness, I had a quick temper. Um, if I didn't win, if I didn't get something, something my way, there was a temper that came out. That was only seen um, within my family. That wasn't seen out in the, in the, in the school world you know, around an athletic field. I was very, very, very self-controlled in the athletic field. And, and um, so the other, thing, the other thing about me that I, I was very shy, especially when it came uh, to girls. So I had a very hard time meeting girls and talking to girls, extremely shy. People say, they look at me now and they say, how can that be? You're, you're just so outward. But in, I'm, I'm, I'm truthful. Um, in high school uh, and through college, I was an extremely shy guy. So when I got to college, I got into to drinking, and drinking loosened me up a little bit. It allowed me to, to, to talk and to, to just be at ease um, in talking to people. And, and so I got into a little bit of a lifestyle of, of drinking, not, not excessive, but, but enough where um, I was actually tasting the world, and I was liking it. And, and um, so fast forward a couple of years, um, I got a, a job as assistance engineer in Boston, met my beautiful wife, Christine, and we got married. Within our first five years of marriage, we had three children. And what did we do? We got connected into our church. I was, I was actively involved in the same church. We got married in the church I grew up in, actively involved in the church. I, I, uh, Christine and I joined the choir. We, we got involved in, in um, church leadership. I was an elder for a number of years. I was on boards. I was teaching Sunday school. I was leading the Sunday school. Started an after-school program for children. And, and extremely, extremely active. Um, so I was what I considered to be a true man of God, right? 
Not like those who don't get involved, who just come and, and sit each week, or even those that don't go to church at all, or even believe in God. I was, um, I was periodically going, and I was reading God's word, and one day, and this is, this, is, this is where my heart was at this time. So I was looking at this, and the word says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Boy, that's a great verse for John at church. Man, he is really prideful. I think, I think I'm going to talk to the pastor, and I'm going to let him, I'm going to ask him if he'll put that in the bulletin. And, and, and Beth, who's back at, at, at work, you know, she's, she thinks she's all that. She says she goes to church, but she's not really a Christian. And that's where I was. I'm reading the word, and as I'm reading the word, I'm looking to see how can I share this piece of the word and apply it to someone else's life. Okay, so um, one of the things that I did was I got actively involved in, in, um, in, in men's groups and the men that I was meeting with, they started hammering me and I'm like, I didn't like it too much. They were, they were challenging me and they were saying, what about you? How are you doing? And one of the things that came out in one of the, uh, in one of the uh, sessions that I went to was an illustration. And I'm just gonna share this illustration with you. I think it's, it's very helpful to understand uh, you know, who we are and, and how, we, how we think in this world. Uh, what is this a picture of? It's a ship or a boat, right? And um, <clears throat> what is the purpose of this, of this boat? To, to be sailing in water, right? So, so the purpose of the boat, the boat was made to be sailing in water. Ah, there we go. Doesn't that look a lot better? So the, the, the boat is, is serving in its purpose. It's in the water. And, and what's the value of the boat if it's, if it's not in the water? What if it's in the storage room and it's just sitting in the storage room? It doesn't have much value, right? So this, this thing was made for millions of dollars. It's, it's, uh, it's in the water. So if there's somebody that wants to attack this boat, um, what, would, what would a person who wants to attack this boat do? What would they want to do? Put a hole in it, right? If they put a hole in the boat, then what happens to the boat? Then, then water gets into it, right? And uh, the boat sinks, <laughs> Okay. And everything that's in the boat and all of the people who are in the boat um, sink, and they're gone, and, and they, they, they're destroyed, right? They're done. So this is a very challenging thing, and this was the message that came to me at this point in my life, um, and it's straight from God's word. Um, the boat is actually us. We are the boat, and there's a purpose that God made us for, He made us for a purpose. There's a reason God made us, and it's to glorify him, to know him, and to make him known. That's that's the purpose that we have. We're to glorify God, to to share with others who he is, right? And and the ocean, in this case, is the world. The boat is supposed to be in the world, but if the world gets in the boat, then the boat sinks. I think it's a good illustration. And so what was happening with me is I was thrust into the world. I'm, I'm on a collegiate wrestling team. I played rugby. I was very actively involved. I'm now a systems engineer in Boston, and I'm in the world. We're supposed to be in the world. People are in the world. We're supposed to be an image of God walking in the world, but we're not, allowed, we're not supposed to have the culture of the world to get into us. So in many Christian circles, this concept may cut like a knife as we desire to hang out only with Christians 
and we desire to only be, um, to only have church activities or, or Christian schools or, or home schools or, and, and this is where my wife and I were. We said, we don't, we're going we're gonna, to you know, not hang out with those other people who are there. What we're going to do is we're going to hang out with, with people who we go to church with in our new church. And, um, and so interestingly, um, what happens is in that case, the boat, me, is in the storage area, in the storage room. And the church, the four walls of the church, or our homes, or Christian communities, end up being a storage room. And the boat, me, is not in the world. I have no effect. That's exactly what Satan desires. Satan desires to keep us away from the world because we can have an influence in the world. We could be sharing with, with people who God is and how, he's, how he works in our life. So that was a, a big illustration that came into my life that started to, to break up some, some fallow ground. So um, in my mind, I'm still saying, yeah, but I'm still a strong Christian. So you know what? I used to be you know, into that partying scene in college, but I, can, I guess I can get into the world and I can meet people and I can help them see me. And I think because I'm going to church and I'm sitting in the pew every day that I'm, that I'm actively involved in the church and I'm putting money in the offering, that I'm saved. I think that I have a, I have a conception that, um, that I am walking right with God. So here's what I call a spiritual MRI of me. So this is, this is, if you looked at me, my ambitions were about things of the world. My values were about hard work and obtaining things of the world. My inner heart was prideful and boastful, lustful, pursuiting of the world and restless. And my idols were my children and my marriage. Sports, I love sports. I grew up with them. House and my cars, position in life whatever society I got a hold of in money. So if you, if you looked at me and took an x-ray of me, this is what was inside of me. You know, these were really the things. Outwardly, I looked like I was a good Christian guy. I was serving God. I was working in for him. But inwardly, truly inwardly, I, w- I had some problems. And again, the world was in me, and I was beginning to leak then, if you, if you drove in and you saw the sign, on the, if you saw the sign in the front and, and you saw the, the bulletin, um, this is titled Miracle on the Mountain. I want to share with you an experience that I had that God just shook me to the inner core. I met God on a mountain. I was, I was part of a miracle, and I want to share this story with you. So um, in 1999, I had signed my family up to go to uh, Jiminy Peak to join a village ski program, and as part of that ski program, um, we got a package where we all could go over, we could ski for the night, and it was eight weeks long for $125 a person. It was a great deal. And we were going to do this as a family. We were going to grow together and be active in a family. So we went over to Jiminy Peak, and it was, it was uh, my, I had taken my two older kids the pre- two previous years uh, for eight weeks, and... Um, and it was in just a great time. All of us together, just working together. This time, my son Brad and my wife Christine and I were coming with us. And um, it was my first run of the week, of, of, of the year, actually. And Nathan had already gone up with his mother a couple times. And um, it was my first run. So I said, I want to go down a real easy trail. I want to go down a green dot chair, trail, I called it. You know, one of the easiest ones that you could do. So we were skiing, and Nathan was, was quoting to me, Dad, this is awesome. Look at how great my skis are. Ten-year-old son, my oldest son. 
Look at how great my skis are working. This is just amazing. And he goes, this is going to be a great year. We're going to be able to do we're going to be able to do all the trails. I can't wait. So we turn in the last turn, and it's a very wide part of the trail. And in the last turn, what we saw was this. I don't know if you can see it very well, but what it is, the, the ski resort was making snow, um, what I call the snow blizzard, directly across the trail. And basically, it was um, uh, just a plummet of ice crystals that they were pushing across the trail. And I saw it, and as we got closer, and we were just nice and easy going down the trail, and I, said, and I looked over to my left, and I said, underneath this snowmaking machine was a whole patch of ice because this, this, the snowmaking machine was dripping water, and under there was all ice. So I told Nathan, don't go near that. You stay to my right. As we go and we, we ski, you make sure that you stay to my right. So he went through first, I went through second, and I came through, and he wasn't in front of me. And I was like, Nate, Nate. I, I said, oh, man, he must have wiped out or something, you know, going through the snow blizzard because you can't see anything when you're going through these things. And um, so I stopped, and I'm just waiting for him, waiting for him. I thought maybe he just wiped out, had to get his skis back together, pop up, and come down. He didn't go. So I start going sideways up the mountain, and I'm going up the mountain, and I'm going up the mountain, and all of a sudden I look, and I see my 10-year-old son lying flat on the ground on his back. When I came up to him, his head was crushed in. And his eyeball was the size of a baseball. And the other eye was filled with blood, the socket. I was certified in first aid, certified in CPR, but I got to tell you, I, that certification and the training did nothing because I panicked. I picked him up. I said, Nate, Nate, get up, get up. And about a half a gallon of blood just poured out of his face onto the ground. I set him back down and I said, no, God, no, no. My son was on the ground. He was not breathing. There was nothing. He was lying there. His entire head was in the ground. It was me and my son on the side of a mountain alone. So I got down on my knees like this. I bent over him and I said, God, I thank you for the 10 years you've given me with this child. I don't believe it's your turn to take him. Lord, but the only thing that I can do is to put him into your hands. Lord, I, I just ask that you heal him, Lord, but on this moment, I surrender him to you. Got filled with a peace that I've never felt in my life, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, and never felt since. And it was at that moment where I took my son and I surrendered him to the creator of the universe. How much more would we have been able to, to rejoice at an ambulance person coming, a human being that is, is trained, and yet we have the creator of the universe that we can take our most valued possessions and to give him the God. But... 10 seconds later, Nathan goes, ah, ah, and he says, Dad, I love you. I'm going to be okay. So I, he was still, his head was crushed. He was still on the ground. I was like flagging people down to go down, go get an ambulance, get another person, go get the, go get the ski patrol because they got to turn off the snowmaking machine because we're getting pelted by ski. People are flying by us. And... Um, 
And then uh, we, a person from our village came by that knew both Christine and I, and I asked him to go and to, to tell Christine what had happened. Um, needless to say, it took an hour for them to stabilize Nathan on the side of the mountain just to ski him down. And then the ambulance was waiting for him down in the, down, down in the bottom, but it took another hour for them to stabilize him in order to transport him to um, Berkshire Medical Center. You know, Christine and I, 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 Christine went in the ambulance with Nathan over to Berkshire in the trauma room. I, I drove over, and, um, and they, everybody was running around. They didn't want to see a 10-year-old baby die, so they're squeezing his fingers and poking him with stuff. You know, 10-year-old, 10-year-old boy, not baby. And uh, <laughs> my baby. <laughs> and, uh, and they're squeezing him, and he's you know, yelling, ow, ow, ow. Needless to say, um, we're in the trauma room, and all of a sudden, the phone rings. They give it to the head doctor in the trauma room. He goes, yep, yep, okay, okay. And he hands me the phone. <laughs> I said, nobody even knows I'm over here. God does. God knows I'm there. God gave me exactly what I needed. My friend Gus is a, was a, a director over at Albany Medical Center. He said, I've got, an, I've got a helicopter flying over. We need, we need x-rays. We need, we need a CAT scan. Tell them they need to do it within the next eight minutes because the helicopter is going to be there. I've got the top neurosurgeon over here at, at Albany Medical Center waiting to do surgery on him. So Nathan flew by helicopter. In the meantime, he's going in and out and in and out and in and out of consciousness. Flew by helicopter over to Albany Medical Center. Christine and I are driving over with our daughter Megan over to Albany Medical Center, and we're just singing praise songs. And we're, we're crying out to God. We're praying to him. Um, when we got there, they made me sign a form saying that I wasn't going to hold Albany Medical Center liable if, uh, if Nathan died during the surgery. So they told us the surgery was going to be about two to three hours, and the surgery ended up to be five hours. We're sitting in the waiting room, and, 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 and our son's getting, getting operated on, and, and all we can do is just sit there and just, just let go, pray. So the doctor came out five hours later, and, and um, he said, well, he's going to live. And he said, but I'm not sure what recovery is going to be like. This was a serious, serious accident. He said he was about 10 times worse than what the x-rays and MRI showed. He had severe brain bruising, crushed his skull, broke both cheekbones, broke the eye socket, and broke the nose. And, um, and so uh, I'd love to tell you, so, so, so just to make, let me just finish this story. So what happened was um, over the next week, he was in a coma for the first day. Uh, he, was in the, he was in the intensive care unit, the child intensive care unit, and we were, we were just praying and praying and working over and working over, witnessing to other people. You know, never did that before, but we were witnessing to other people what God had done to our son. And, um, and uh, in six days, that young man was released from the hospital. This is, this is the miracle that, that, that happened. And now, praise God. Praise God. So... So the, the, the cool thing is that young man God did use because he grew up, he went to high school, he, led, he and, his, and his friends led more than 12 people to Christ. He got actively involved in Navigator Discipleship Ministry in Savannah, Georgia, and now he's on staff with the Navigators working with young men in discipleship. You know, the fact of the matter is with God, all things are possible. There is nothing that you're going through right now that, that God can't take care of. I'd love to tell you that everything went well for us since that time where Nathan was released from the hospital, but, but, in, but let me just share a, 
I'm going to share what happened after that point, okay? This is, this is my three children. This is my idol. My children were my idol. Everything that was in our life, Christine and I, we poured into our children. And the accident, the, the day that Nathan was released for the accident, this is what, what he looked like. He had 88 stitches. They cut him from ear to ear. They pulled back his skin. They had to reconstruct his face. He had 88 stitches. And because he destroyed the right frontal lobe, that's the, that's the area of the brain in which the emotional control center for a person exists. So essentially, we had a 10-year-old boy that was 110, 120 pounds that couldn't control his emotions. Lashing out with the tongue at family members, physical, physical lashing and... and um, Part of, part of what, what happened, too, was the temper went on um, the whole week, and, and, and it just seemed like it was one thing after the next, and, and it seemed to me like Satan didn't want this message being told. God, God is our hope. Amen. He is still in the business of performing miracles. And, and, and I, I hear Christian circles say, you know, God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't do this anymore. And you know what? This is the word of God. This is true in its entirety. Amen. And God, God doesn't change. He still, he still desires to, to, to enter into our lives, to, when we, to intercede in our disparity. He desires to step in. He desires to, to touch lives and to transform them and to heal. Amen. It's the faith. When, when the woman's bleeding for, for years and years and years, she, she has faith enough to touch the hem of Christ's robe, and she's Amen. healed. Christ tur- turns to her, and he says, he says, your faith has healed you. Amen. Amen. It's faith. And I'm not saying if, if, if healing doesn't occur, then, then the person doesn't have faith. But what I'm saying is you cannot have healing without faith. So you have to have faith. So what, what happened with, with me in the ensuing, in the ensuing weeks, so we, we had a, a child who, who had temper tantrums who was going crazy in, in our household that turned us upside down, inside out, and we didn't know what to do. The only thing we could do is we could sit down with the word of God. We could cry out to God. The only thing I can do is I can, and, and I have to say that in that moment, my pride didn't go away. The things that I desired didn't go away. But what went away was my desire to know Father, the creator of the universe. So I, I sat there and I, said, and I said, you know, God, why are you allowing this to happen to us? You know, why couldn't it be somebody else? Other people are, are not following you, Lord. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm saying, you know, wait a minute. This is not fair that it didn't happen to me. And God said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? He's talking to me now, not my brothers and sisters. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not even one. It caused me to be on my knees and say, you know what, God, I am a sinner. My heart was wicked. My inner thoughts were impure. God, I desire to follow you. I desire to, to, go, to, to go in your way, Lord, but how come things just haven't fallen into place, Lord? I surrendered everything to you. I surrendered that thing which was most valuable in my life to you. And God said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I'm like, God, I want to be mature and complete. I want to be Christ-like. I want to be a, a, a Christian, a little Christian, a person who looks like Christ on this earth and I desire so desperately. But how can I consider it pure joy? My son has 80 stitches in his head. Temper tantrums are going crazy. Lord, why? 
How can I possibly lead my family when we're still all reeling from this close encounter? I get up at night with nightmares that he didn't live. How can I deal with that, God? And God says to me, be still. Know that I am God. <sighs> Man, God, you don't know my spirit. I'm a, I'm a wrestler. I'm going to look for every single advantage I can. And you want me to be still? That's a tough one for me. We had plans for him, God. He's a smart guy. We wanted, we, we, we felt he was going to be an engineer. We thought he was going to be really successful in this world. Now they're saying his brain may not be able to do those things, which they could do before. What about those plans, God? God said to me, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God, this is bigger than anything that we've ever faced before. How can I know, Lord, that this is your plan? I know that my faith was tested on that mountain, God, and that you gave me peace in the midst of that storm. Lord, but as I look in your word, I ask that you help me increase my faith. Give me wisdom, Lord, from your word. Then God led me to this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. With all my heart, huh? I don't fully understand everything that happened, but I do know that it was you, God, that revived him on that night. I saw what you did on that mountain. I saw you breathe that breath of air into that kid's nostrils like you did when you breathed the first breath into Adam. Lord, I know who you are. (laughs) How can I do anything but tell people about you and what you've done in my life? Lord, give me opportunities to share this miracle. So, Lord, (laughs) how do I come to the point of joyfully obeying you and worshiping you? How do I get to that point, Lord? And he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will also be loved by my father, and I too will love him and, and reveal myself to him. So God, it's, it's, it's really about obedience? Father, as I just dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into your word over the past year, I know that it's not just obedience to doing the things that you told us to do, Lord, but, but willful, joyful obedience. I got a desire to do these things, Lord. I got to want to run into your arms and love you and hold you. Oh, Father, I just, I just, I want to obey you, Lord. How do I come to, uh, so, so, Father, I just ask, um, what do I do, Lord? How do I, how do I continually worship you? And he said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in views of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Are you talking about a sacrifice like, like Moses, Isaiah, you know, and, 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 and uh, trying to think, Moses and, and Isaiah did on, on when they said, here I am, Lord, here I am. You know, we have to look no further than, than, than what it was like with Christ. Christ, he's sitting there and he's on the cross saying, here I am. We want to be like Christ We need to be at that point in our life where everything belongs to God, where we put it in his hands. We need to be at that point where we're saying, here I am, Lord. Take me, use me. 
You know, so God has put, put me in, in a place where, um, where I just continually looked in the word, looked and looked and looked in the word, and he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces more seed. This helped me understand something. I had to die to myself. I had to die to my own selfish ambitions. And I could not be productive for God unless I died, unless I took, took those things that were most valuable to me and I put them at the foot of the cross. That's the, that's, that's the miracle that happened on the mountain. It wasn't that God revived my son. Yes, that was a miracle, but the bigger miracle was that he revived me. He showed me who I am. He showed me who he is compared to who I am. And, and so, do you see the difference? Do you see the difference before? Everything about my testimony was about me. It was about my ambitions, my values, my inner heart, and my idols. It was about me, me being active in the church and serving in the church. And after you come face-to-face with God, after you experience God, it's about him. Everything is about God and what we can do for God. So what's amazing to me is as, and, and I'm preaching to myself here, why is it so easy for us to, 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 to go into 30 years of slave labor to, to buy a house? And yet for eternity's sake, we have a hard time putting something in the offering plate or, or, or offering ourselves. Why do, we, why do we continually have no problem at all pouring into what I had, a little idols, my little children, paying for college and, and, and uh, special school, and yet, and yet I, I can't sacrifice everything to God. This is, this is the challenge that I had. So the, the question that, that, that drove me to my knees and brought me up is, is, is my focus on knowing God and making him known? Am I investing time every single day in my relationship with God Spending time in his word, in prayer? Am I listening to him? Or am I just reading his word and saying, okay, I'm gonna set it aside. I didn't hear a word he said. Now, God, I need you to help me on this test or this meeting with my boss. Or I need you to help me get enough money to pay this bill, God. I didn't hear anything he said. I'm not talking about what he said to me. I'm telling God in my prayers what, I was, what I'm bummed out about, what's, what's bothersome in my life. Yes, there's a need for that, to, to petition God for that, but we need to listen to God 90% of the time and, and share with God 10% of the time. He already knows what you're going through. He doesn't need you to pour that out. Yes, you have to confess it. Yes, you have to, to get rid of it, but the most important thing is for you to listen to God, to get to that point where you're on your knees and you're sharing with God in conversation with what he's sharing with you. Is that understandable? That's, that's what I learned from this. I'm just sharing to you. I don't know how, how anybody's prayer life, this is between you and God. I don't know what your idols are. What, what's an idol? It's that thing that you, that you can't let go of. The thing in your life that no way, I'm, there's no way I'm giving that up. That's an idol. We each of us have to look at ourselves and do that spiritual MRI and see what our idols are. Um, in the third chapter of John, Jesus got a visit from Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a God-fearing, church-going man. And, and he had, a, he had a, what seemed to me to be a pure heart. Nicodemus goes to Jesus and he, he's saying, you seem to be a man from a man from God. 
seeing the miracles, the only way these miracles can occur is if God was the one present in these miracles. Nicodemus understood that, just like I understood it when I was on the mountain. And Jesus says to him in verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. (laughs) Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? Being born again, you know, you see me, I'm a grown man. You want me to climb back into the womb of my mama and, 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 and be born again? That's not happening. Nicodemus has to be thinking of him, thinking at this point, this man is crazy. This man's nuts. There's no way I can be born a second time. And Jesus goes on, and he says almost the same thing. In verses 5 and 6, he says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the flesh, a spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying that you must be born again. So born of the water, most likely in this case, as he's talking about the flesh, is born a natural birth. But born of the spirit is, is someone who, with the, when the Holy Spirit presents himself to that person, then, then they, they fully surrender their life and the spirit enters and dwells within them and they allow the spirit control in their lives. Okay? Every single person has a physical birth, but not everybody has a spiritual birth. You know, my prayer is that everybody here would have a spiritual birth like, like I had, where I had to completely let go. Um, in, in Paul's letter, or in uh, Ephesians, oh, wait a minute, uh, Paul says in, in chapter one that he, that he says the Holy Spirit is a deposit that guarantees that we have eternal life. That's how critical the Holy Spirit is in our life. When, 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 when they return, they're gonna go look and they're gonna see who's stamped with the seal. The seal is the, is the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter one. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have eternal life. That's what scripture is very clear about. And this is, this is what's, what's really um, big in my heart. If you look at here, there's a little me and there's a, there's a big creation. <laughs> and um, so born of the Spirit requires us to die to ourselves, to, to our selfishness, our personal desires and ambitions, and to surrender our lives to God, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Some people call this regeneration. Some call it born again. Some people call it born of the Spirit, as, as you saw in Scripture. This is critical in the Christian's walk. And they can't truly see God for who he is and all of his majesty unless the Holy Spirit is in you. And, and, and what the Holy Spirit does is it diminishes you and your desires and ambitions and increases him working in you so that you can manifest him out in this world. Uh, let's take a closer look at my MRI uh, after... God did this. So and this is a, a verse before I do that. It says, so I, so I say, and this is Paul to the letter of the Galatians, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So how do we beat that desire for sinful nature? Allow the Holy Spirit to take over. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sin, sinful nature. So you can't, be, you can't be living in the Spirit and being Spirit-led and continue in sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't allow you to do that, okay? So for me, what God did was he, he allowed me to empty myself, to surrender, and to, to be filled with, with who he is and his spirit and the attributes. Um, he's shaping me every day. I'm, not, I'm a work in progress. I'm a piece of clay. Uh, periodically, I want to grab the steering wheel back um, in my life. Um, but he, what he's doing is he's, he's sanctifying me. He's allowing me to go through the process of becoming more and more and more like him. It's a sanctification process. So as we go in our walk, God reveals things to you, and what you have to do is you have to put those things down on the cross. I don't know what it is that God's revealing to each of you. Like I said, every person, it's different. 
Um, it's not I, when I go out, that others should be seeing. It's the Holy Spirit who's in me. So um, we might ask, how do I know if I'm born by the Spirit? It's by the fruit. What's the fruit we produce? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How can I say that I'm living in the Spirit, but I don't have love? I don't have peace. I'm not fully living in the Spirit. I'm not fully surrendering unless, unless the fruit of the Spirit manifests itself in my life. So that's an easy way to detect if I'm truly fully surrendered and living by the Spirit. Um, Think about it. You know, what we have to do is is one by one, everything that God identifies, we just have to surrender that. So again, look no further than Christ and how he lived. Father, forgive them. He just got, got whipped. He just carried a cross. He's beaten. He's the king of the universe going and dying for their sins. And he says, forgive them? That's the way you want me to live, God? Man, that's a tall order. Brothers and sisters, what I share with you today is my personal testimony. 1 John chapter 5 says that we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. And that's what we're to do. We're supposed to go out into this world and to know him and to make him known. So if you're wrestling, if you're wondering about anything that I shared today, I would invite you to come up and speak with me, speak with Pastor Jeff or Tom or any one of the elders that are up, up here because this is, this is a, literally a life and death situation for eternity. And my, my heart, I'm here to, to, to share with you because this is an experience I went through. I could have been that person who sat in the church and got involved in the church and continued to put my offering plate and I would have been completely satisfied if God didn't rock my world. It's, it, it, it really shook me to the core if you're, not, if you're not presently active, actively pursuing Christ with other brothers and sisters who are living in Christ and desiring him, I would encourage you, get, in, get involved with somebody who, who has a desire to follow Christ. Pastor Jeff, Pastor Tom, they're up here. They have a way to connect you, to help you grow in your spiritual walk. And the third is a little bit of a selfish thing. I'm new in this church. I don't know many people. And my personal prayer, and I'd ask you to pray for me, is to, to find a, a, a brother that I can step alongside and I can pour into. Because the Lord told me that I'm supposed to be discipling. And if I'm not pouring into somebody, I did this in the previous church that I was in for, for 18 years. If I'm not pouring into somebody, then I'm not in the will of the Father. And that's not good. God's going to hold me accountable for, for pouring in. So I, I just pray that God would bring the right person in my life. Um, you know, and, and that I can, I can pour into them and share what God has shared with me. So I'd like to uh, take a moment right now and just close with a word of prayer. Father God, you are a great God, and we just love you, God. We desire to seek your face and to know you, Lord, know you in a most intimate way. And Father, I, I lift up Derek to you. Lord, as Derek went, went through a, a, a little bit of a, a trauma over here, Lord, I pray that you, would just, that you would be with him and with his family, that you would help them to be comforted and knowing, Lord, that he has a body that cares about him and loves him and lifts him up in prayer. And Father, I pray also for any hardened ground in any one of our hearts, Father. I pray, Father, that you would break that hardened ground, that you would show each one of us, Lord, where there's things in our life that we're holding on to that we can't let go, idols in our life. And Lord, as we go forth, I pray that you would just um, allow the seed that was planted, Lord, to take root, and Lord, that, you're, that you would be manifested in each of our lives, and we can glorify your name.
And I lift this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It was the one that got in the accident. This is uh, my special blessing to see. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. I would, have had, I would have said before, I had no greater joy than to see my children having a great job and taking care of themselves. But, but each of my children are, are, I'm very proud of in walking in truth. And, and the fact is, they're not my children. They're God's. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So, and Nathan, and his, Nathan and his wife, a little baby Abigail, they have another little one on the way. And uh, we have more Christians that we're going to be bringing out into this world. <laughs> this is a good thing. So I'm just going to close. I'm going to close again. Lord, I just ask for your blessing on this, this fellowship. I pray, Father, that you would just, um, you would allow us to go forth with your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would manifest yourself in who we are and what we do and how we think. And Lord, I just lift all of this up in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known.